You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to The Corbett Report. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan here in April of 2023 with episode 440 of The Corbett Report podcast, Operation Chokepoint 2.0. Now, we are going to take as the starting point for our exploration today a very interesting moment in a recent U.S. House Financial Services Committee meeting that you may have missed between Representative Warren Davidson and Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell. I've spoken with multiple bankers who tell me that they've never seen a higher degree of regulatory burden uh, steering, guidance, shaping uh, activities in the market from regulators. And I don't think that's just narrowly focused on the Fed, um, but I'd ask you to look into it. There are a lot of people that feel like there's an Operation Choke Point 2.0 going on, and it's particularly focused on debanking people that are disfavored by you know the current uh, executive branch primarily, uh, just like the previous Operation Choke Point. Hmm. Interesting moment, but choke point? What does this mean? Well, we can get more information on that from a recent ReclaimTheNet.org article. Watch. Federal Reserve Head is questioned on controversial debanking of disfavored individuals. And I think you know where this is going, but let's read through a little bit of this. Uh, In this article, it notes that during a recent House committee hearing, chair of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, was grilled on Operation Choke Point 2.0 an alleged Biden administration effort that Representative Warren Davidson described as being particularly focused on debanking people that are disfavored by the current executive branch. Representative Davidson told Powell that he'd spoken with multiple bankers who said they'd never seen a higher degree of regulatory burden steering guidance shaping activities in the market from regulators. He attributed this heightened scrutiny scrutiny to Operation Choke Point 2.0, a reference to an alleged extension of Operation Chokepoint 1.0. The first Operation Chokepoint was an Obama-era debanking effort that began in 2013 and attempted to prevent gun dealers, payday lenders, and other companies that were deemed to be high-risk from accessing banking services. And as it goes on to say in this article, it quotes Davidson with the, the money quote here, when people really feel like some third party is going to steer or shape their money, They don't trust it, Davidson added. I mean, the unbanked and the underbanked, fundamentally, that's lack of trust is part of why they don't use our banking system today. In fact, that's part of the appeal of the digital asset space, the permissionless nature of it. And then he goes on to talk about the alleged regulatory clampdown and tightening that's going on and some of the things that we'll get into in a moment here. But then he goes on at the end of this clip to say that uh, if you don't comply with the regulatory regime, you don't get to operate a financial services business, right? And uh, Powell was forced to respond, that's right. Yes. Yes. And in other news, water is wet. Um, Yes, exactly right. So anyway, it's an interesting moment. And the clip is embedded here in the Reclaim the Net article, if you want to go and watch it in its entirety there, or I guess you can go and dig up the uh, actual hearing itself to see the broader context of this. But anyway, This is an interesting little piece of of a snapshot of an obviously much bigger story. So we're going to delve into that story a little bit today. And hopefully 
Some of this language is ringing some bells for some longtime corporate reporters. Operation Choke Point. Operation Choke Point. Where have I heard that before? Oh, that's right. Choke Point. How the government will control the cashless economy, which was a subscriber editorial I wrote way back in October of 2016. So as usual, corporate reporters, years ahead of the curve. And you will be well informed and you will know all about ch Choke Point. But if not, don't worry. No pop quiz today. I'm not, I'm not going to grade you on anything. We're going to go through it. And we're going to see what was happening years ago and what is happening today. And how anyone with their head screwed on straight should realize just how dire the circumstances are. And just how urgently we are in need of some solutions to this crisis. So anyway... Let's let's start delving into this. And uh, I'm going to go through this choke point article that I wrote seven years ago. And you will note that it starts with that fictitious letter from United Nations headquarters, which is the letter that I presented uh, as the beginning of my Solutions Survival Currency podcast. But first, I wanted to start today with a letter that I just uncovered that I think will be very interesting to you. So I'm going to read this letter to you. It's from New United Nations HQ, Consumer Enforcement Division. It's to Winston Smith, and it is dated the 17th of February, 2025. The subject of this letter is Revocation of Commercial Interaction License, and it reads, Dear Consumer, our Biometric Detection Division has confirmed that you participated in the protests at last month's coronation of Hillary Clinton as Supreme Leader of the United States for Life. Your case was reviewed by our enforcement personnel, and you were found guilty of unlawful dissent. As a result, all of your financial accounts have been closed, your carbon credit allowance has been frozen, and your consumer participation chip has been deactivated. You have been downgraded from consumer to laborer. As such, you may proceed to the nearest Federal Emergency Management Agency labor camp to receive your work assignment. You will be provided a space in the dormitory and three meal credits per day. All hail the new United Nations. Praise be to Secretary General Rothschild. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. Ha ha. Funny. And of course, this isn't a real letter. This is something that I wrote back in 2016. It's just a, just joshing you. Ha ha ha. New United Nations and some sort of a consumer and enforcement division that's going to be looking at your uh, protest activities and taking you off of the uh, the monetary grid as a result of them. Oh, what's crazy, stupid science fiction. Oh, wait. Oh. Oh, no, this this isn't science fiction. Of course, this letter is completely fake. But this letter is very, very real. And I'm going to read this letter to you, which came out on September 4th of 2014 and was addressed to Speedy Cash of Savannah, Inc. by SunTrust, who wrote, SunTrust continuously reviews its products, markets, and client relationships to ensure that we are able to provide the best possible client service while also meeting our corporate business objectives. There are circumstances where we will identify a specific account relationship that no longer meets these criteria. In the best interest of our clients and SunTrust, we will request that those accounts be closed. As a result of a recent account review, we regret to inform you that SunTrust is no longer able to provide some of the financial services you require. 
we respectfully request that you immediately begin closing all of your SunTrust deposit accounts, safe deposit boxes, and credit cards by October 6th of 2014. If you do not close these accounts by this date, we will need to close them for you and either hold the proceeds until we hear from you or mail you a check for any collected balance, blah, 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 etc., etc. Yes, this is an actual letter that was really sent out from SunTrust Bank to one of their clients... Speedy Cash of Savannah, Inc., in 2014 to close their account. But why, you say? Well, actually, that's a funny story. And by funny, I mean horrifying. Namely, the Department of Justice's Operation Choke Point. If you are unfamiliar with Operation Choke Point, I highly suggest you become familiar with that little operation that was perpetrated by the DOJ, under Obama, it started uh, as an idea in 2011. It was uh, first revealed to the public in 2013, and it was shut down for good in August of 2017. So nothing to worry about, guys. It's just this completely illegal, totally unconstitutional scheme whereby the DOJ used the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which is an independent agency of the U.S. government, guys. Don't worry about it. It's totally independent. It's just that the DOJ used the FDIC and its supervisory role over banks like SunTrust and many, many, many others, all of the banks that participate in the FDIC uh, uh, scheme, to insure your savings. Well, they have a supervisory role over those banks. So the DOJ leaned on the FDIC to lean on the banks to pressure them to close the accounts of businesses, completely legal, law-abiding businesses that they didn't like. All right, hopefully that is ringing some bells for the longer-term listeners in the audience who remember that from Solutions Survival Currency. If not, of course, please do watch or re-familiarize yourself with that material. I will include the link to that full podcast so you can watch it in its entirety where it goes on, not only to talk about Operation Choke Point, but more importantly, what we can do about it, more on which in a moment, but to make sure that we are all up to speed on this program, what it was, how it functioned, and why we should be nervous about the prospect of Operation Choke Point 2.0, let's take a look back at that aforementioned Corbett Report subscriber editorial from 2016, Choke Point, How the Government Will Control the Cashless Economy. And of course, it is up right now on CorbettReport.com. I'll include the link. And yes, it is a subscriber editorial, so you have to be signed in as a member of the website in order to read it, unless you use the for free access to this editorial, please click here link, and there's a link to the free editorial, as always. So... Uh, you don't have to pay me a penny to read anything. I give my life's work away for 100% free. You're welcome. Having said that, let's read uh, through this article. So, of course, I do start with that fake, completely fictitious letter from New United Nations Headquarters. Ha ha ha. Sounds like far-fetched science fiction fantasy, right? Oh, if only. And then I go through that SunTrust letter that I wrote there, or that I read there in the uh, Solution Survival Currency podcast and explain a little bit about it. Um, this is a letter from SunTrust Bank to Brian Lynn, a former Marine Corps officer and CEO of a payday lending company that had been operating 26 branches in Florida, Georgia, and Alabama for over 20 years. In 2014, both SunTrust and Bank of America closed his company's deposit and account services with no warning or explanation. 
We received a letter from our bank of more than 10 years, the Bank of America, back in June, telling us they were closing down the accounts we had for nine of our stores in the Jacksonville area, Lynn explained in a news story in 2015. I thought there was some sort of mistake, so I contacted our local branch officers, and they were as baffled as I was. We had been a very good customer throughout our long relationship with Bank of America. They contacted their superiors in the corporate offices, but got no explanation. They were just told the decision was final. On its own, a story like this might just be an anomaly, but it is not an isolated story. It's been happening to gun dealers, pawn shops, coin dealers, and tobacconists, even porn stars, all across America. Hundreds of completely legal, properly licensed, regulation-compliant businesses have been subject to this treatment for years. So here's where it gets really creepy. All of these account closures are not just the spontaneous decision of the banks themselves. They are part of a legally dubious and outright Orwellian Justice Department program that the DOJ tried to keep from the public for years. Initially conceived as far back as 2011 and first revealed to the public in 2013, the ominously named Operation Chokepoint induced the FDIC to use its supervisory role over the banking industry to lean on banks and encourage them to drop clients in industries engaging in high-risk activities. This inducement took the form of memorandums of understanding between the FDIC and FDIC-supervised banks prohibiting payment processing for targeted businesses or classifying loans to such businesses as undesirable. But a 2014 report from the Congressional Committee on Oversight and Government Reform showed that these high-risk industries covered not just patently illegal or evidently pernicious businesses, pyramid schemes, online gambling, debt consolidation scams, but completely lawful and regulated ones, coin dealers, firearms merchants, tobacconists. And here I have this screenshot from the actual FDIC report listing some of these high-risk industries. And you can see completely legal businesses, and there is a lot of them that are in the crosshairs of this program. I'll let you explore that list on your own time. But as I go on to write, the entire congressional report and the various committee hearings that were held grilling the FDIC and DOJ officials on the matter are worth perusing in their entirety. But Brian Wise of the U.S. Consumer Coalition summarized the program in 2014. They didn't want this program to be released, as you mentioned, to the public at all. But most of these industries are industries that they've tried to legislate out of existence over the past 20 to 30 years. They haven't been able to do that. And so the Obama administration, under the direction of Eric Holder at the Department of Justice, has decided we're going to come up with a creative way to go after these industries. We're going to find the one unifying factor that brings together all of these industries. And what is that? Everyone needs a bank. Everyone needs a payment processor. And so we're going to go to the banks. We're going to intimidate them into stopping their client relationships with all of these companies. And so by executive decree, entire classes of businesses, including perfectly legal businesses that were already operating under strict licensing laws and regulatory regimes, became pariahs, cut off from the backbone of the financial system and scrambling to find backups. In Brian Lynn's case, he was forced to apply for an account at 21 different banks before he found one that was willing to take him on as a customer. Other business operators that have come forward have shared similar experiences. Now, this particular story has a happy ending of sorts, or at least as much of a happy ending that you're likely to find in anything to do with the abuse of power by the U.S. government. 
In January of 2015, just weeks after the congressional report was released, the FDIC retreated on Chokepoint, issuing new guidance that encouraged banks to take a risk-based approach in assessing individual customer relationships, rather than declining to provide banking services to entire categories of customers. Of course, that didn't stop the practice altogether. Instead, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the completely unaccountable bureaucratic nightmare brainchild of Pocahontas, I mean uh, Elizabeth Warren, effectively took over the program later that year. In June of this year, that's 2016 when this article was written, the House passed the Commerce, Justice, Science, and Related Agencies Appropriations Act to effectively defund Operation Chokepoint by prohibiting the Justice Department from using any funds to carry out the program. It remains to be seen whether this will actually quash the program, but at this point it seems likely that it will just continue under another name and through the auspices of a different agency, exactly as the Information Awareness Office just sort of transferred into other programs when it was officially shut down back in 2003. Uh, But to concentrate solely on Operation Chokepoint, or as many on the right side of the phony left-right paradigm do, to concentrate solely on gun dealers, is to completely miss the point of how truly spine-chillingly Orwellian this program is. Because this program right here is a microcosmic instance of the macrocosmic problem, the FDIC-compliant Federal Reserve-regulated banking system as it exists is nothing more than a centralized choke point at which the federal government or any other authority can cut an uncooperative business or an inconvenient individual off from the financial system. But don't take my word for it. Take the DOJ's own Financial Fraud Enforcement Task Force Executive Director's word for it. Quote, The reason that we are focused on financial institutions and payment processors is because they are so-called bottlenecks or choke points in the fraud committed by the so many merchants that victimize consumers and launder their illegal proceeds. For example, third-party payment processors are frequently the means by which fraudulent merchants are able to get paid. Our prioritization of this issue is based on this principle. If we can eliminate the mass marketing fraudsters' access to the U.S. financial system, that is, if we can stop the scammers from accessing consumers' bank accounts, then we can protect the consumers and starve the scammers. This will significantly reduce the frequency of and harm caused by this type of fraud. We hope to close the access to the banking system that mass marketing fraudsters enjoy, effectively putting a chokehold on it, and put a stop to this billion-dollar program that has harmed so many American consumers, including many of our senior citizens. Won't someone think of the senior citizens? End quote. Maybe that senior citizen's comment wasn't part of the quote. This is what Michael J. Bresnikat told a group of bank supervisors in 2013, shortly before Operation Chokepoint was revealed to the public. But we now know this noble-sounding program wasn't about stopping scammers or fraud. It was about finding an extrajudicial way of cutting politically targeted but completely legal groups and businesses off from the financial system, and they did it. But wait, it gets worse. Think about how much worse things will be in a cashless economy, like that proffered in the imaginary email at the beginning of this editorial, when all payments are electronic. There will be no way to interact in government-issued fiat without going through the financial system. At least at this point, businesses can still resort to cash to skirt these types of non-legal, extrajudicial punishments. But in the future, even that admittedly small window will be closed. 
in the dream society of the technocrats, when the government and the banksters that puppeteer them want you off the grid, it will require nothing more than a flick of the switch, and then you will be left begging for scraps. If only there were a decentralized link, community-based monetary system link, or trading system link that didn't require interfacing with the federal banking system. Luckily, as we've discussed here many times, link, there are such alternatives. They already exist, and they don't require any official permission to make use of them. So, if you are in one of those these targeted high-risk industries or feel your industry, like the alternative media industry, might become one of them in the near future, there's only one choice. Start getting off the banking grid now to whatever extent possible because you never know when the government is going to flip a switch and your bank account is going to be gone. Well, that was James Corbett in 2016, and as you continue reading, of course, there's the recommended reading and viewing and Just for Fun that is part of the subscriber editorial every weekend, or most weekends, uh, anyway, at uh, CorbettReport.com. So if you do want to support this work and make it possible in the future, please consider signing up for a membership and getting access to the uh, subscriber newsletter. At any rate, whew, yeah, that was me in 2016 trying to ring the alarm bell saying, hey guys, it looks like, you know, this Operation Choke Point idea, whatever they do with it legally, don't worry guys, it's all over. It's probably not all over, right? They're going to continue coming back to this well and using the choke point of the cashless economy um, and our reliance on the banking system. Everyone needs a bank. Everyone needs a payment processor as the way to essentially choke out any any perceived political threat. But hey, that's just conspiracy theorist James Corbett. What did he know back in 2016 trying to warn about that kind of thing? I mean, it's not like there any government in the Western free liberal democracies is going to start actually debanking individuals that are just part of some political protest movement, are they? Let me repeat what I said on Monday. If your truck is being used in these protests, your corporate accounts will be frozen. The insurance on your vehicle will be suspended. The consequences are real and they will bite. It is time for you to go home. And let me also be clear that we will have zero tolerance for the establishment of new blockades or occupations. We now have the tools to follow the money. We can see what is happening and what is being planned in real time. And we are absolutely determined that this must end now and for good. Oh, wait, right, of course, that's exactly what is happening, and you will, of course, be familiar with what went down in Canada last year. If not, at the very least, you can get caught up to speed with my Give, Send, Gone, episode 413 of this podcast from last year, where I examined in great detail the process by which, of course, the uh, choke point continues on in other countries by other names. What this is fundamentally about is debanking the ability for governments to debank individuals that they deem to be, whatever, protesting in the wrong way. Of course you can protest. It's your democratic right, blah, blah, blah. Oh, wait, not that kind of protest. Flip, flip the switch. 
Um, and of course, it becomes easier and easier to flip that switch. That goes from a metaphor to quite a literal flipping of a switch that happens in the cashless economy, which is, of course, why this incredibly important idea of Operation Chokepoint actually becomes more important as we go forward in time, not less important. And for people who have a hard time understanding what this means, how Operation Chokepoint 2.0 is already being, let alone can be applied in the future, let's bring it down to some brass tacks. And we'll take this from the piratewires.com website, which uh, I'm not familiar with this publication, but they have a very good write-up, at the very least, on Operation Chokepoint 2.0 is underway and crypto is in its crosshairs. First, they came for the crypto bros. Wait, I, I, I want the even the people who are arms folded, no coiners, oh, just stupid internet money. It's all going to disappear when they flip the internet switch. This isn't, please, don't get hung up on that detail. This isn't about crypto. Although, ostensibly, at the beginning, it's about crypto. But this is about the game for the entire enchilada, to coin a mixed metaphor. All right, so... Let's get into this. It starts by saying, what began as a trickle is now a flood. The U.S. government is using the banking sector to organize a sophisticated, widespread crackdown against the crypto industry. And the administration's efforts are no secret. They've expressed plainly in memos, regulatory guidance, and blog posts. Uh, however, the breadth of this plan, spanning virtually every financial sector, as well as its highly coordinated nature, has even the most steely-eyed crypto veterans nervous that crypto businesses might end up completely unbanked. Stablecoins may be stranded and unable to manage flows in and out of crypto, and exchanges might be shut off from the banking system entirely. Let's dig in. For crypto firms, obtaining access to the onshore banking system has always been a challenge. Even today, crypto startups struggle mightily to get banks, and only a handful of boutiques serve them. This is why stablecoins like Tether found popularity early on, to facilitate fiat settlements where the rails of traditional banking were unavailable. However, in recent weeks, the intensity of efforts to ring-fence the entire crypto space and isolate it from the traditional banking system have ratcheted up significantly. Specifically, the Biden administration is now executing what appears to be a coordinated plan that spans multiple agencies to discourage banks from dealing with crypto firms. It applies to both traditional banks, who would serve crypto clients, and crypto-first firms aiming to get bank charters. It includes the administration itself, influential members of Congress, the Fed, the FDIC, the OCC, and the DOJ. Here's a recap of notable events concerning banks and the policy establishment in recent weeks. And they've got this timeline here, starting on December 6th, where Senators Elizabeth Warren, Pocahontas, where have I heard that before? Oh, right! She was a player in that original Operation Choke Point article we were looking at, right? John Kennedy and Ro Roger Marshall send a letter to crypto-friendly bank Silvergate, scolding them for providing services to FTX and Alameda Research, and lambasting them for failing to report suspicious activities associated with those clients. So the FTX scandal is the gift that keeps on giving for would-be regulators of the crypto space and banking generally. On December 7th, Signature Bank, among the most active banks serving crypto clients, announces its intent to have deposits ascribed to crypto clients. So going down from $23 billion at its peak to $10 billion, and it will exit its stablecoin business. On January 3rd, 
The Fed, the FDIC, that you will remember is the agency through which the DOJ was facilitating Operation Chokepoint 1.0. Remember, it was the DOJ leaning on the FDIC to use their regulatory power over banks to get banks to unbank targeted industries and targeted individuals. Uh, there's no rule. It's not the government doing it. It's just the FDIC. And its supervisory role is encouraging banks to drop these kinds of businesses. And look, the banks are just doing it out of the spontaneous goodness of their heart and their willingness to help the greater cause, right? So insidious. Anyway, on January 3rd, the FDIC and the OCC release a joint statement on the risks to banks engaging with crypto not explicitly banning banks' ability to hold crypto or deal with crypto clients, but strongly discouraging them from doing so on a safety and soundness basis. On January 9th, Metropolitan Commercial Bank, one of the few banks that serve crypto clients, announces a total shutdown of its crypto asset-related vertical. On January 9th, Silvergate stock falls to a low of $11.55 on bank run and insolvency fears, having traded as high as $160 in March 2022. On January 21st, Binance, Binance announces that due to policy at Signature Bank, they will only process user fiat transactions worth more than $100,000. On January 27th, the Fed, the Federal Reserve, denies crypto bank custodia's two-year application to become a member of the Federal Reserve System, citing, excuse me, safety and soundness risks. On January 27th, the Kansas City Fed Breach uh, Branch denies Custodia's application for a master account. On January 27th, the Fed also issues a policy statement which discourages banks from holding crypto assets or issuing stablecoins and broadens their authority to cover non-FDIC-insured state-chartered banks, a reaction to Wyoming's Special Purpose Depository Institutions, SBDIs, like Custodia, which can hold crypto alongside fiat for its banking customers. On January 27th, the National Economic Council releases a policy statement not explicitly banning banks from serving crypto clients. No, 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 no government interference here, here at all. But strongly discouraging banks from transacting with crypto assets directly or maintaining exposure to crypto depositors and bada bing bada boom. On February 7th, the January 27th Fed statement is entered into the Federal Register, turning the policy statement into a final rule with no congressional review or public notice and comment period. Yay! It's, this, it's the process, guys. In sum, banks taking deposits from crypto clients, including stablecoins, engaging in crypto custody, or seeking to hold crypto as principal, have faced nothing short of an onslaught from regulators in recent weeks. Time and again, using the expression safety and soundness, safe and effective, guys, they've made it clear that for a bank, touching public blockchains in any way is considered unacceptably risky. FTX, Alameda, we all know the lessons from that story, right, guys? And perhaps most damagingly, the Fed's devastating denial of Wyoming SPDI Bank custodia, as well as their policy statement, effectively ends any hope that a state-chartered crypto bank might get access to the Federal Reserve System without submitting to FDIC oversight. If you need more explanation about that SB, SPDI, the Special Purpose Depository Institution Bank Charter, which was... Uh, enacted in the cowboy state of Wyoming back in 2020, and which relates to, for example, this um, this custodia that they're talking about, formerly called 
um, whatever it was formerly called, uh, and now Kraken Bank as well. Others have tried this, but essentially the Federal Reserve came back recently and said that Custodia's plans for becoming a Federal Reserve member bank would endanger itself and the crypto industry, so that it has been denied. Anyway, there's I'll throw in some links to follow up on that if you're interested in that. But that's kind of that that is exactly what the fork 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 of Bitcoin into GovCoin was always intended to be about. It has always been this years-long operation that people who have been following the crypto space for over a decade have seen of the initial people celebrating the idea of, hey, we have this completely, totally separate space that does not require any third-party middleman. There's no central bank or anyone involved in this transaction. It's direct peer-to-peer electronic online instantaneous currency. Yay! And then you get all the people coming in. No, 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 no. We want the regulation. We want the government to step in and regulate exchanges and and be able to oversee the accounts that are made on those centralized exchanges on this decentralized network. Of course, we want to centralize everything and 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 put list it on your tax form dutifully, and it'll all be above board, guys. And then, oh my God, wow, the Federal Reserve isn't isn't allowing crypto banks to uh, function as regular. Fed banks and other such things. Oh no. But of course, that's what it was always about. It was always about getting the crypto, all the crypto bros on board, all the quick, get rich quick investors who are just seeing dollar signs, literal dollar signs when they're looking at Bitcoin or any other type of um, cryptocurrency, because all they're caring about is it's just another asset that they can convert back into dollars eventually. But they have to do that through the banking system, right? And there's the choke point. So anyway, uh, here here's where these, this article goes into. Why might crypto entrepreneurs be wary of the FDIC? Well, it traces back to Operation Choke Point, and then it goes through the sort of short summary of the choke point, which, as, uh, as I noted before, was formally shuttered under Trump in 2017. Don't worry, guys. No more to Operation Choke Point. But as this article goes on to correctly point out, And for all the no-coiners out there who have just been plugging their ears for the last few minutes, who cares about the stupid crypto banks? Well, this is what this is really about. It is about you and your ability to bank in this banking system. So, as this article explains, since Chokepoint nominally ended, using financial rails as an extrajudicial political cudgel has only become more popular. Under pressure, a number of banks walked away from the Dakota Access Pipeline in 2017. In 2018, Bank of America and Citigroup deplatformed firearms companies, and BOA began to report client firearm purchases to the federal government. In 2019, AOC announced her intent to marginalize private prisons through her seat on the House Financial Services Committee. Financial regulators are being asked to advance progressive causes, too. In 2021, the Democratic House passed the Federal Reserve Racial and Economic Equity Act, which would have required the Fed to aim to eliminate disparities across racial and ethnic groups with respect to employment, income, wealth, and access to affordable credit. Gensler's SEC now maintains a controversial climate agenda, as does the Fed at a smaller scale. Kamala Harris has deputized banks to advance a racial equity agenda, effectively um, imposing uneven demographic standards for credit provision. Today, it's even commonplace for explicitly conservative organizations like Gab or Parler and various malcontents and dissidents who fall afoul of regime politics to find themselves deplatformed from banks, 
fintech, and payment processors that they rely on to do business. For those who support this, I would invite you to imagine what financial inclusion or exclusion under a similarly zealous DeSantis administration might look like. Just build your own bank, right? Well, not if the Fed has anything to say about it, as evident with the stillborn Wyoming SPDI. The crypto industry tried that path and was utterly stymied. So, anyway, long story short, and there is more here, and I would suggest you go into it, Um, at your leisure, but long story short, Operation Chokepoint 2.0 is already underway, and whether or not you think you are personally affected by any of these particular things laid out in this article so far, it will come for you. And what happened in Canada is just the beginning of the taste of what is coming for the rest of us political dissidents and malcontents. And whatever side of whatever phony left-right paradigm you are on, just imagine, if you can, if it's possible to imagine that at some point in four years or eight years or at some point in the future, perhaps the other wing of the bird of prey that is preying on all of us might actually get into power and then they'll use it against us. Oh no, who could have imagined? This is the problem. But we already knew this, right? Well, here it is in black and white, and there's lots of links and lots of things to go through today. But as always, yes, we see the problem. We know the problem. I've been talking about this problem specifically at Operation Chokepoint since at least 2016. In fact, I've been talking about monetary reform and the need for alternative trading communities pretty much since the inception of the Corbett Report back in 2007. But anyway, this particular thread of this particular debanking of political dissident story has been certainly on the Corbett Reporteer's radar since 2016. So in the last seven years, You've all been actively creating communities of like-minded people who are willing to transact and exchange in non-government overseen um, forms and finding different ways of monetarily transacting, right? We've all established our our safeties and our our ways of finding and sourcing and, and transacting with other people in the event of the debanking that we know is coming, right? Well, hmm... Maybe not everyone has been doing that, but at any rate, hey, the best time to to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. So, at the very least, I hope that today's episode is yet another wake-up call that this is coming. In fact, it's already here. It is already targeting all sorts of completely legal businesses and people who have done nothing other than protest at the wrong political protest against the wrong government at the wrong time and anything else you can imagine uh, in terms of political dissent has been criminalized and is now those those people those thought criminals are now being actively debanked so as always the only question is what are we going to do about it not what are what are they going to do what person can we elect select (laughs) into power at some point to be a representative who will solve all these problems for us. No, what can we do about it today? That is the only question that matters. And I, hey, look, I'm not here on a cloud saying I have all the answers, but I think this is what we need to be talking about desperately before we lose access to whatever funds, wealth that we think we have in this fiat economy. Anyway, there are plenty of resources in the Corporate Report archives talking about the solutions side of this. So once again, I will refer you back to what we were looking at earlier, the Solutions Survival Currency, episode 394 of this podcast, where after presenting the choke point 
beginning, of course, I go into all of the possibilities that are on the table for communities. And remember to put the cart before the horse. You have to, or not to put the cart before the horse, you have to have community before you can have an alternative trading system that will work. But at any rate, once you have that community in place, there are many different ways that you can transact that do not rely on the government. Uh, I will also point you to a uh, an editorial I wrote late last year called How to Win the War on Cash, noting the cashless society push and the various uh, attempts that are that have already taken place, that are taking place in the CBDC world. And what is the answer to this? Well, I have some answers in that editorial, including pointing back to, for example, talking about the Cash Friday idea from Catherine Austin Fitz, Solari.com, that we talked about in a previous Solutions Watch, talking about Black Market Fridays and Agorist.market that I've talked about before on Solutions Watch. So, Anyway, there are lots of ideas out there, lots of things on the table, and there's plenty more that can and should be discussed on this. I hope people at the very least have this on their radar and are actively thinking about it, because I venture to guess, if you are here in the Corporate Report audience, you're probably one of the thought criminals who's on the list at some point. Uh, maybe not high on the list, maybe you're down on the list, but at any rate, they'll they'll get to you. They'll get to you eventually, if we continue down this path. There has to be an alternative uh, economic monetary structure being built up now while we still have access to the funds in the phony baloney rigged banking market that is allowed to exist through regulations because the regulatory chokehold is happening right now and it's only a matter until they get us at the choke point. That is going to do it for today's exploration. There are lots of links for today. So I hope you will check it out at corbettreport.com slash chokepoint, where you will find all the links to everything I've talked about today. But on that note, we're going to leave it here for today. I am James Corbett of corbettreport.com, thanking you for joining me and asking you to join me again very soon.